Hello and welcome to another episode of the Visual Politic Podcast. I'm your host, Simon. In this one, the Petroan China's strategy to defeat the dollar. This was originally a video released on our YouTube channel. That happens on the 16th of May, 2019. If you would love to leave us a review for this podcast version of our YouTube channel, please do so at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That would be cool of you. Uh, say hi to me on Twitter. I'm at Simon Whistler. Also, I'm just going to jump in during this podcast and fill in any details that are necessary for you to understand it. Like if there was a graph or something, I'll jump in and let you know what happened. Now let's get into it. Almost 800 years ago, Marco Polo visited Kublai Khan's court, the first emperor of the Yuan Chinese dynasty and grandson of Genghis Khan himself. There, he found what was probably the first fiduciary currency of all time, a currency that was entirely based on the government's reputation and the threat of a harsh and certain punishment for those who refused to use it. I love China. The biggest bank in the world is from China. What's going on with China is unbelievable. The largest devaluation in two decades. You know where their United States headquarters is located? In this building, in Trump Tower. I love China. Because even though in recent centuries the world of finance has been chiefly dominated by the West, the pound sterling and the United States dollar becoming hegemonic for more than 200 years, we're forgetting that it was the Chinese back in the 7th century who developed one of the greatest financial innovations in history, paper money. Viewer, China wants to regain that leadership. But of course, in order to do so, they have to do one thing, and that of course is defeat the US dollar. China and the United States have an almost overwhelming rivalry. The difference between the two is huge, and of course it favors the North American power in practically every field, including the very important financial sphere. You see, China is the second world power. It's the second largest economy and the largest exporter in the world. In spite of all of this, however, its own currency, the yuan, doesn't really have much international clout. And hold on a sec, because I can guess what you're probably thinking. Yep, the Chinese yuan has been used more in recent years due to the Chinese economy's huge growth. But let's not fool ourselves. We aren't willing to convert our savings into yuan in the same way that many people do with dollars, and certainly drug traffickers aren't willing to be paid in briefcases full of Chinese currency. In other words, in practice, the yuan's importance at an international level remains pretty insignificant. Or at least that was until now. Because folks, in this video, we're going to talk to you about how Xi Jinping's government wants to end the dollar's dominance and make the yuan reflect the economic weight of the Chinese giant. And you know what? This has a lot to do with the fact that China has already surpassed the United States as the world's biggest oil importer. Shown on screen is a chart of the net crude oil imports of China, India, and the US from 2003 to 2023. The US falls from 10 million barrels per day to around 5 million barrels per day. India rises from 2 million barrels per day to around 5. And China increases from 2 million barrels per day to 10 over that period. And now you might be wondering, well, yeah, Simon, but I mean, what does the yuan, what's it got to do with oil? Well, we're going to get to that soon, but first we need to go back in time about 45 years. We have to go to the 1970s. Maybe you've heard about the petrodollar. The time has come for a new economic policy for the United States. 
Petrodollar, the story of a pact. Since the Second World War and the Bretton Woods Agreements of 1944, the dollar has been the reference currency, the leading world currency, if you will. Indeed, the dollar is by far the most commonly used in the international currency market. Indeed, two-thirds of all of the world's central banks' reserves are in dollars, and almost 40% of all debt issued globally is in US dollars. In other words, nowadays the dollar is like the oxygen of the global economic system. Any country will have a very hard time moving forward if they can't get some dollars. However, there was a period in history where this ecosystem almost collapsed. This all happens on August the 15th, 1971, when Richard Nixon announced the end of the dollar's convertibility. I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Before then, the dollar was a convertible currency. That is, the different central banks could convert it into gold. This means you could tell the Federal Reserve, here are your dollars, now give me the equivalent value in gold. The problem was that the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and numerous public spending plans were adding up, so the Federal Reserve issued many more dollars than they had gold to back it up. But with Nixon's decision, all of this ended, and the dollar became a fully fiduciary currency. Well, the thing is that this decision, which was announced as a temporary measure and then became permanent, risked the people's faith in the dollar. Up until then, the dollar had been the benchmark currency. But from then on, why would anyone accept some paper that the Federal Reserve could simply print at will? The French president himself, General Charles de Gaulle, had already stated his concern in 1965, even before the dollar's convertibility was abolished. Check this out. The fact that many countries accept as a principle dollars as good as gold leads Americans to get into debt and to get into debt for free at the expense of other countries. Because what the U.S. owes them, it is paid, at least in part, with dollars they are the only ones allowed to emit. Charles de Gaulle. But folks, faced with the risk that the global monetary system could collapse if the dollar was the reference currency, the United States found a formula to save and consolidate the dollar's hegemony. Of course, I'm talking about petrodollars. You see, in 1974, the United States and Saudi Arabia, they agreed that all oil purchases would be done in US dollars. And not only that, the reserves of the money generated would be channeled through the North American financial system, which of course is run with dollars. And this, this is how the petrodollar was born. A year later, 1975, the other OPEC countries joined in. And dear viewer, we're talking about the oil market. It's the largest commodity market in the world. 
In other words, Saudi Arabia essentially came to the dollar's rescue. Which, of course, they didn't do for free. Saudi Arabia's ruling family wanted nothing less than absolute protection from the United States, something like a comprehensive insurance plan. Bit of a spoiler alert here, they absolutely got that. You probably knew that. The Saudi-led operations are fully U.S.-backed, trying to bring stability to Yemen, but the U.S. has its own fight in that country. As we told you here before in visual politics, in exchange for receiving every kind of protection from the North American military, first Saudi Arabia and then the other OPEC countries promised to flood the United States with money and cheap oil. I know, I'm sure that at this point some of you might be wondering, well, what good does this do for the United States? Well, the dollar is in such huge demand as the worldwide reference currency for trade, savings, and investment that it has allowed the United States, for example, to print money to finance the government without generating inflation or affecting their economic stability. And not only that, the dollar's presence throughout the world has also favored the United States as they've been able to create more developed financial markets, they've been able to have more buyers for their debt securities, and they've been able to secure the current importance of Wall Street. The point is that now the Chinese, the world's biggest oil importers, want to flip around this established order. The Petro One. On VisualPolitik, we already talked a lot about the new Silk Road. Well, we could say that this is another of the great products which the Chinese government is currently working on pretty intensively. See, in June of 2017, Beijing took the first step when it agreed with Russia that oil purchases could be made in Yuan. Thus was born what is known as the Petro Yuan. This is a form of sale that is now being used in many of the oil deals that China makes with Russia, Iran, Angola, and Venezuela. However, the truth is that countries haven't been eager to accept this currency. But why is this? Well, that's because it's considered a liquid, rather risky, highly volatile, and not exactly a reliable currency. Well, to overcome this reluctance, in March 2018, China announced a new twist. Oil futures contracts, they were launched on the Shanghai International Energy Exchange under a yuan denomination. But first, a quick note. A futures contract is an agreement that forces the contracting parties to buy or sell an asset, in this case oil, for a fixed price that is agreed on today, despite the fact that the delivery of said asset, of the oil in this case, will be made in the future. This is how companies and governments can organize themselves and know how much oil they'll be able to buy at a predetermined price. But that's not all. To reassure sellers, China announced that the yuan-denominated futures would be backed by gold. In other words, the country that sells the oil will be able to exchange the yuan it receives for gold whenever it wants to. This, this is a pretty attractive deal, don't you think? And here's another detail. The countries that charge in yuan can also escape the US's sanctions. The pace of expansion has been explosive. The Shanghai contract has become an unexpected thorn in the side of the main Western benchmarks. Stephen Innes, head of Asia-Pacific Trading at Futures Brokerage, Oanda, in Singapore. Obviously, there's still a long way to go before it can catch up with Western markets, but so far, reception seems to have been, well, rather good. 
shown on screen is a chart of the trading volume of crude futures in thousands of lots from June 2018 to December of 2018, where the daily average is one lot is equal to a thousand barrels. The WTI and Brent averages have fluctuated through the term, and with the WTI falling overall from 1.4 million to 1.2 million lots, Brent oil falling from 1 million lots to 800,000 lots, but Shanghai has shown a steady increase from 200,000 yachts to around 500,000 lots. So with this new framework in place, do you know what China is doing exactly? It's pressuring their suppliers to accept charging for oil in Yuan. Oh, and if you don't want to accept that Yuan, well, don't worry about it, I'm just gonna buy less oil from you, no problemo. In fact, this explains exactly why China has prioritized countries such as Russia and Angola as its oil suppliers in recent years. Shown on the screen is a pie chart from Wood McKenzie detailing the breakdown of Chinese oil imports and the year-on-year -year change in percent from each supplier. The largest suppliers are Russia and Angola, and these saw increases of 11 and 22% respectively. The next largest supplier was Saudi Arabia with only a 1% increase. There are several smaller suppliers with little or no change, but Venezuela increased by 14% and Brazil by 48%. But that's not all. China knows that Saudi Arabia could play a major role in this entire process. If this country even partially accepted the Yuan, the entire global monetary order would totally change. News stories like these, they're no longer just about energy security, but about financial and political strategies. Check this out. From Arabian Business. Saudi Aramco agrees to Chinese JV deal for $10 billion refinery. Could you imagine if the Saudi oil that Aramco is going to supply to this new refinery was paid in Yuan. This, folks, is the move with which Beijing wants to end the dollar's importance, or at least weaken it. China is buying more and more oil each time, and they're paying for a greater part of it in Yuan. And this has many, many implications. For example, China's oil suppliers will have more accounts and reserves in Yuan, with which they won't only buy Chinese technology and products, but the surplus will be heavily invested in China itself, in government debt, in the real estate sector, in stocks when they are released, etc. etc. In other words, China wants to have all of the benefit that the United States has enjoyed in recent decades. China wants the Petro Yuan to contribute decisively to its national development strategy far beyond the export sector, all the while pressuring their main rival. Now, hold on just a moment, because China will have to introduce many reforms to achieve these objectives. Not only will they have to give more freedom to foreign investors, they'll also have to give them more legal security. Because, let's be honest, if you have to save money right now, you're probably not going to be doing it in a Chinese bank. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.